0: We're seeing a lot of the cracks and a lot of the warts in the church. I think we're seeing a lot of things dying. Frankly, that if you ask me, things that I think need to die. And what I think the church needs is a more beautiful song.
1: podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona, Season 4, The Church is Dying. Or is it?
2: Well, we're back with Episode 6 of Season 4 of the Taste and See podcast. I'm Ted Wieste, the Director of the Spiritual Formation Society, and I'm here with my, uh, my partner in crime, uh, my, uh, my
1: co-host, Gray. Gray Ewing, I'm uh, the pastor of Ascension Church of Phoenix, a church I planted a number of years ago, right here in the middle of Phoenix, and also get to help out with this podcast and other things related to the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. And, and as, as you guys know,
2: we're, we're six episodes in, or this is the sixth one. So what we've been exploring on this season so far is, is well, the title of the, the podcast this season is The Church is Dying, or is it? You like that? I always do the dramatic yes, pause. Okay, very dramatic. So so we're asking questions and having conversations. Um, and we've had some great conversations so far. And as as always, we'd love to have your feedback. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. You know, what questions do you have? What is important to you in this exploration? Um, because as the season continues to unfold, we want to be able to interact with things that are on your heart and on your mind. I feel
1: like it's almost developing in real time for me as we record these episodes to kind of giving shape to it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So on Taste and See, we always have something to eat. Again, a reminder, this season we're having breakfast, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. And it's having breakfast as a... Uh, reminder of Jesus' invitation to come and have breakfast in John 21, when the disciples were disoriented, did not know what was going on, and there's that invitation to come, sit down, let's eat. And so as we think about the nature of the church today, it's often incredibly disorienting. And so we want this to be a space where we can sit in that disorientation and also notice what is the Lord doing? How is Jesus present?
1: And do that with other uh, people as well which is what his impulse was and so we have uh, Jason Pfeffer with us today. am I saying your last name right? Yeah, you got it. This is the first time we've met uh, so we've popped on the video within three minutes. we were trading uh, stories about our interaction with the cops um, <laughs> that not be part of, of this uh, episode maybe maybe some outtakes maybe some b-roll. Uh, <laughs> And yeah. uh, some stories about our interactions with with the police and, and being in cuffs at various times, um, but nothing nothing too crazy. Well, there. Jason was not in handcuffs. That was. That was I,
0: I'm That's so crazy. worried about. I'm just thinking, what are people thinking right now? Oh, I know. Like, totally you, you just set this up. There
2: were no there
1: were no arrests. Let's be very clear. There were <laughs> all no arrests. All no mistakes. convictions. <laughs> all mistakes. All mistakes. Uh, not our mistakes, even. But uh, anyway. Now I share that not to uh, throw any shade your way, Jason. <laughs> uh, as a humorous point, because uh, it's great to to talk with you and get to know you uh, yeah. to stories and looking forward to this time uh, what's what's your connection uh ted, with with Jason?
2: Well, I've been, I've been sort of remotely familiar with uh, your church over the years. And then a friend here locally, I think, visited your church last summer and just yeah. loved it and was like, there's something to what's going on here and wanted to bring it back to Phoenix. And so in my conversations with him and then I emailed you. And so I, this is our first time to meet as well. And I just want to hear more about uh, what you're up to. Love it.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited. I love conversations like these
1: as Ted mentioned, we share a meal together or breakfast together this season and wanted to hear from you first. What did you, what did you come prepared to eat today? Uh, and tell us a little bit about it.
0: Yeah, well, I've got, uh, Oh man, I love that it's breakfast because I love donuts. (laughs) Is that in keeping with our, our, our police theme? I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) I love donuts, and there is a, at least relatively new, here in the Chicagoland area, uh, a new donut place called Duck Donuts, and I'm telling you, they are literally the best donuts I've ever had. They make them, like, fresh, like, right there, like, you can watch them come out, and, like, they come out of the the, the fryer, and, like, they immediately, like, they make them custom, like, they make them to order, so you want chocolate, you want vanilla. They have all sorts of crazy flavors and they will, they, they put the freshly fried up donuts in your box and then, and then, uh, frost them. And, and they're, I mean, even the second day, they are the best donuts I have ever had in my whole entire life.
2: And you said there's one in Chandler.
0: There's one in Chandler. Yeah. I can't remember how many there are across the country. They were, they, they were started in the East coast somewhere, but, but yeah, Duck Donuts. Check them out; they're they're fantastic.
2: Well, when you said you were going to get donuts, we decided we'd do donuts as well. Yeah, and we got Rainbow Donuts, which is you know a highly regarded donut place. I think people like. Well, I think
1: if you talk to many people in my church, uh, they would say they are the best donuts. So there's a big debate in Phoenix: Bosa Donuts versus Rainbow Donuts. For a lot of people in the surrounding suburbs, there is no debate; it's just Bosa. But if you're here in the city, uh, then Rainbow is a strong contender. And uh, I love Rainbow Donuts. We had them for years at our church, uh, as you know, part of the hospitality. So. Okay.
2: Well, so I I went in, and I I don't think I've ever been to Rainbow Donuts, but I you know on the way here stopped by, and so I go in and I said to the to the delightful woman behind the thing, I said, "So what are like your two best donuts?" And she looked at me like I was an alien. You know, she's like, "Well, I, ah." She got all <laughs> flustered. What do you like? And I'm like, "No, what are your like best ones or whatever?" So it was kind of hard. So I got, ended up getting two things for us to sample. One's an apple fritter. The other is a um, old fashioned.
1: Okay. So I thought we could just kind of see, you know, I love both of those things. So, and are you like, what are you a a glazed, plain glazed guy? Are you like a chocolate guy? What's, what's your,
0: well, in keeping with the theme of Jesus making, making breakfast on the shore, I got a fish. No, I'm just kidding. There's no fish (laughs) on my donut. Um, Yeah. I, What's lots of anchovies and sardines. It's fantastic. If you've never had it. No, that sounds disgusting. Um I I like all kinds of donuts. The one I've got here is just vanilla glazed or vanilla frosted with some uh, with a dusting of Oreo on it. Oh wow.
1: Yeah, That's yeah. A, I like it. Well, we're going to dive into these donuts. Sorry listeners that you're not participating in this. One. <laughs>
0: Um, <laughs> they're salivating as they're listening. Hopefully, they're wor- they're working out and, and preparing for the donuts they'll eat later. That's right.
1: <laughs> We're going to delight in this, and we'll be back in just a few minutes to talk with Jason.
2: Thank you for joining us on the Taste and See podcast, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Our vision for the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona is to create space for leaders and learners to grow in deeping intimacy with God. Check out sfsaz.org for more information and resources and consider joining us at an upcoming event. Now back to the podcast.
1: And we are back. With Jason, Jason, Duck Donuts, did it, did it live up to the hype in your mind? Did it once again knock it out of the park? Or I,
0: I will tell you, I bought a dozen because I can't go and leave it. I, well, because I can't, I, can't, I can't say I had Duck Donuts and my family's like, what?
1: Right. I,
0: I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I can like eat more of them and then just not let them know that I had Duck Donuts because uh, yes, it absolutely lived up to it. How many kids do you have? I have two kids Um, uh you can
2: always uh, say i don't know where they went kids and then they're (laughs) blaming each other and then you slowly walk out of
0: the room jason it's great (laughs) (laughs) the the homer simpson meme like disappearing into the (laughs) the trees (laughs) yes so ted
2: yes we had these rainbow donuts and they were good they were really good solid i mean just really like no it it didn't like totally blow my mind Mm -hmm.
1: but no flaw. Good donut. Good donut. Very good donut.
0: The, and we know the Bosa people. The Bosa people are going to come for you guys. That's what I was
1: just about to say. We know that we have some Bosa listeners, and we we understand we love Bosa as well. So it's equal handed treatment here. But Rainbow makes a great donut, and uh, they're they're in the valley as well. So thanks for joining us for breakfast, Jason. Thank you for yeah. the conversation. I I joked uh, a couple times in in the, in the break here that we needed to have the microphone on because we were already going into. All this stuff. So you're gonna have to repeat some stuff uh, that okay. you said before. But first, just situate us a little bit. You said you had two kids. Tell us about your family. Also, tell us about your faith journey and what led you okay. up to uh, to what you're doing now.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So I'm married. Been married for this, uh, and actually, in a, gosh, in just in a few days, it will be our uh, 17th anniversary. Wow. I can't believe we've been married for 17 years. We have two kids, a 12 year old, almost 13 year old. And, uh, so he's 12, almost 13. And then a 10 year old, uh, both boys, they're fantastic. And we just, man, I, I, I love our family. We just get to play and do lots of fun stuff together. Um, my faith journey, I, you know, I was, I was raised in the Catholic church. Most of my family, uh, was Catholic and, and practicing Catholics. Um, we're very committed to to their journey. Um, my parents divorced when I was very young. My dad uh, accepted Christ when I was eight years old, and he started going to uh, charismatic and Pentecostal churches, and I loved going to church with him as a self-diagnosed ADD kid. Uh, the Catholic church was hard for me, um, and I loved the excitement and the energy that that was present in a church. The churches that my dad went to, so I spent time in both places and and really love and I, I you know I say the Catholic Church was hard for me. I only mean that it was hard as a kid who struggled to pay attention as a young kid who didn't really know why we were doing what we were doing, um, but I continued to stay very well connected in the Catholic Church in terms of. Um, that just the values of what I I experienced there, but also loving the Pentecostal side of things, and had this very wide experience. Ended up going to Wheaton College, and so that was sort of the beginning into the the evangelical world. And so, in a lot of ways, I mean, this isn't this isn't an uncommon thing to say. I'm a very, I'm a theological mutt. I'm all over the place. But uh, but you know, I I've always had this deep desire to. To really know God, to have a sense of intimacy with God. It's something that um, my father very much fostered in me and, and honestly, not even uh, super directly. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that he taught me and talked about all the time. I think he led by example. He would ask me questions, uh, would invite me to listen to God when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of environment you know i i hear people talk about their experience of not of having to sort of come to grips with this reality that god wants to do life with us that god wants us to live with god that jesus invites us to you know be with him all the time that that's a re, that's that's an actual reality in in this life and and i hear people talk about their journey into that and i look back and i'm just i'm kind of i I don't know, I, I'm so incredibly lucky that I just, I grew up in a family and in a community where that was just understood to be a reality. And and so it has always been a deep longing for me uh, to cultivate a sense of intimacy with God and to just to be, to live more and more of my life in God's presence.
1: And so bring us up to today. So you are, you're planting a church called The Practice. Give us yep. the, the short version of that story what is the practice? Why did you name it that? Or where yeah, did yeah. it come from? Uh, and what's, what's kind of the idea behind the, the ministry?
0: Yeah. Well, I didn't name it. Um, and the whole ministry began uh, without, like, with no involvement for me. And it's just, again, this beautiful thing that I've, maybe it's a theme of my life, the beautiful things that I've just been handed <laughs> in my life that I don't deserve. Beautiful um, yeah. So there, um, so we were, we were attending Willow Creek here in the Chicagoland area for, for a while. My Never wife heard. was on, what's that? Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Willow but, Creek? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's just, it's a little, it's a
1: little church. Yeah.
0: Um, my wife was on staff in the kids ministry and, and so it was, I was our church and I, um, it was never, I, the church never really connected with me. I mean, the, the big kind of evangelical mega church world is it's never something that it's just not a stream that I've really ever felt super connected in. Um, but we hung on there because my wife was working there and, and that was, you know, that was fine. They were, they were wonderful. I, I sound like I'm putting it down. There are wonderful things about the church. Um, but uh, we stayed for a good long time. And then uh, I heard about this ministry that was starting up back in 2014 called The Practice. And Aaron Nequist, who was one of the worship pastors at Willow, uh, was talking about it. And I read this little blurb that he put out there somewhere, probably on social media, about the practice. And he's he was talking about Willard and Richard Rohr and all of these people who are just like like my heroes, Willard in particular. And and I was like, what in the world are you doing? Like I can't deme- I can't believe that this is at Willow. And, and so I just scheduled some time with him. We ended up having lunch the week that the practice launched. And and he just shared the vision behind it and what they were doing. And it was very much saying, What if, what if we approached worship in a different in a different way? If it wasn't Quite so um, consumer minded or you know entertainmenty, but it was it was more reflective, more contemplative, more li- classically liturgical, and and it, the intention was how can we make space for people to connect with the presence of God. And, uh, and so the worship was again, more like classically liturgical and contemplative. And then he said, you know, we we can't just do the things that Jesus said, right? Like Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. Can you, can you just try really hard and love your enemies? Like, I think, you know, we know, I mean, that's the, the foundation of spiritual formation is that we're not, we can't just do these things. And, and so the question became, how can we become the kinds of people who can do this. And, and Aaron and that original team said, well, it, it's usually not through teaching. I mean, if you ask 100 people in the church what has been most influential in their journey towards Christ likeness, I mean, some would mention a sermon, but probably not a lot. And so what they said was, let's shorten the teaching time. So the teaching was down to 15 or 20 minutes. And then let's allow the teaching to always lead us into a spiritual practice, the kind of practice that will help us become the kinds of people to do the things that we're talking about in the teaching. And so that... that combination that part of the service that's not, that would normally just be a 35 or 45 minute lecture uh, turns into a time of teaching, opening up the scriptures, teaching about the historical church, but then also uh, helping us to engage in a practice that helps us become the kinds of people who can do what Jesus taught. And then that would lead us into uh, the Eucharist. So we would always, the high point of the service was coming together around the communion table. And all of this focus, the whole service was really oriented on how can we more intentionally experience the presence of God? Like, how can we, like, what would it look like to craft a service whose whole purpose was to help us become more aware of the presence of God that's already with us? And that that was the beginning of the practice. And so I was a part of the community at the beginning and just absolutely loved it. And then about a year and a half or a year or so, year, year, year and a half in, uh, Aaron asked me to, to consider coming on staff, which I did. Um, and, and that, you know, is kind of the, the journey that we've been on. We stayed as a ministry at Willow for, uh, six years. And then in 2020, we had a, there was probably about a three year journey of trying to discern is it, is now the right time for us to step out and plant a church. Um, but in 2020, that, the answer, like that, that became clear that that was the next step for us. Um, we just knew my wife and I knew she was still on staff at that point, And we both knew that our time at Willow was, was kind of coming to an end. And so we just asked the question, what, what's next? Are we going to go plant the practice church or are we looking for uh, jobs at another church? And, um, as I was telling you over breakfast, we, we were in Colorado and I was just walking and praying and asking God, well, you know, what am I going to do? And I think, and I, I always tell the story and it sounds like I just asked God and I got an answer. I mean, it was like three days of this kind of prayer walking in the mountains and asking God, what are, what are we doing here? And, and on the third day, um, on the third day, I never made that connection until just now. (laughs) On the third
1: day. (laughs) If the resurrection fits.
0: Oh, good gracious. (laughs) So on the third day, I heard God really clearly say uh, the choice is yours and I'll be with you whatever you do. And you know, so I got back to the cabin, and I told my wife, and we both were like, "Just give us an answer, you know, um but but in the end, I was just so incredibly grateful, and i I remember processing this with my spiritual director, and um, this is why I love spiritual direction, because it gives you a chance to kind of mine the depths of these these sorts of moments and experiences. And I realized that was so incredibly choked up as I was sharing the story with her. And and through her gentle guidance, realized how much it meant to me that God would trust me enough to make the decision. And then not only that, but that God would trust me enough to plant a church, right? Like, I, I remember telling her, like, I don't think I would trust myself to make the decision. And I don't know that I would trust myself to plant a church. But here God is saying, you make the choice and I'll be with you, whatever you do. And that just, that was so incredibly meaningful and something that I held on to. I continue to hold on to, especially when, you know, I mean, planting a church is hard and you have some really hard and down moments. And that's one of those moments that, that experience that I've just hold on to and just remember God, God promised I'll, I'll be with you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When, when you were sharing that during our breakfast time, eating those donuts I I think I made the comment that that just sounds so much like God to me to Mm -hmm, say, mm -hmm. the choice is yours and I'll be with you. And how humbling, how humbling.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh my gosh. That's just, that's incredible. And I think sometimes we can get stuck into thinking that God's just going to give us yes and no's. And sometimes he does. Sure. Sure. But how often does he say, let's do this together. And, and I almost, I almost kind of feel like, he knows that whatever he tells us to do, we would probably do. I mean, I mean, of course we sin and we don't, but but, you know, to a large degree, if we hear a yes, we're going to do it. And for uh, for him to almost have faith in us. Yes. Yes. Him having faith in us. Yeah.
0: And trusting us. Yeah. It's incredible. And what kind of God does that? Like, have you ever like that? It's just amazing to me like what kind of god says yeah yeah i want to partner with you in this it's not a yeah go do this go to that but i want to partner with you yes make the decision and i'll 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 be with you whichever choice you make like that it just it blows me away that god that that god like the creator of the universe is willing to enter into our stories in that way it's just mind-boggling
1: what i also love about it is the um the combination of decision making and and spiritual seeking, which I think we there's bitches right on either side of yeah, that. But sometimes sure. we're just like waiting, in and they you know their stance, they're humble, you know they're waiting for something to happen, and and other times others are like, no, I've I've got to figure this out, and there can be a kind of um, a, a kind of unhealth on on either one of those sides, and truly the Lord just gives us these opportunities, and He he gives us reason and he gives us our families and he gives us finances. And these these are all things that, that we can take into consideration. So I love that you sought it spiritually. And then also from that, even that spiritual stance was able to say, I just need to make a decision here. And the Lord's with me. Yeah.
0: That drove my wife nuts. Like after that moment in Colorado, I told her I felt like I felt like this is now a decision-making process, not discernment. And maybe that's just semantics and the way I think about things. But I was like, discernment to me is God. Should I do this or do that? And then when God said you make the decision, it felt like, well, now it's a decision-making process. Of course, God is involved in it. It's a prayerful decision. But and she was always like, but it still feels like it's a discernment. <laughs> like I know but you know. so we had some we had some fun conversations and like had I me mean, help, helpful conversations. I didn't mean fun in a sarcastic way, like really helpful conversations as we sure. as we sort of sussed that out because because you're right like like we we're given our families as a part of as a part of this process and we don't we don't make decisions and we don't discern things alone anyway. So to have her with me in it was, you know, so helpful. And and our boys, I mean they're old enough and we're old enough then that we could include them in the conversations to an extent, which was just a beautiful thing for them and for us,
2: Wow, yeah, so um twenty twenty you start moving towards planting,
0: yeah, practices. it's a great time to decide to plant a church
2: <laughs> well, that also that also sounds a lot like God, you know uh, yes, 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 and all that in times where logic might significantly bit right so now we're you know a couple of years later what what is the practice looking like i mean just to paint a picture of a weekly sort of rhythm or monthly rhythm what is it what does it look like
0: yeah yeah great question i mean we are you know just kind of the, the tangible stuff we're we're out on our own now we stayed we were at willow for a year willow gave us the gift of a space to meet for a year um it meant we had to stay originally we met on sunday nights so, using the space meant we had to stay on Sunday evenings. they didn't have a, a space for us in the morning um but at the beginning of this year, at the beginning of twenty twenty two we um we launched out into our own space on a Sunday morning just down the road and um and to be honest, there's not a whole lot that has changed in the uh sort of tangible practical things that we're doing. I mean, I think what we do on a Sunday morning is very similar to what we did on a sunday night not much has changed in that regard but i'll say like what what what's really important to us is that everything we do really is focused on how can we have a deeper more intentional more meaningful encounter with jesus you know i think as i i love i love what you are you guys are doing in this series and in this season And, and I'm just, I'm convinced that the place that we can find hope in this season is having an, a real encounter with Jesus. And so what we do is we, we try to organize our time as a church, not just in the way we do the service. I think that's really, really important. I think the way we do things communicates something it teaches, but also like, what are we talking about? So we just finished doing um an experiment with the practice of Sabbath. And so a couple of times a year, we we do what we call experiments. And they're really just ways of being more intentional, inviting our community into something. That kind of language comes from Mark Scandret, um, practicing the way of Jesus, his is one of his books. And he talks about these experiments. And, and so with this particular one, we said, What if for the entire month of October? we as a community committed to practicing a weekly Sabbath. And we invited people into crafting what your Sabbath practice looks like. You know, what day do you do it? What day works for you and your family? What are those things that you choose not to do to rest from on Sabbath? But then also, what are the things that you're going to do, the things that you're going to engage in Sabbath? Because that's just as important as what we don't do. And it was so fun to have these conversations in the community about, what we were experiencing, and what did you, what were you drawn to on a Sabbath? What were those productive type activities that you all of a sudden really wanted to do on Sabbath? And then why are you being drawn to that, right? Why are you drawn to the gardening or the, you know, helping your kids do something? Like, why were you drawn to that? What are you trying to get out of that ultimately? Like, where's that, where's the value coming from in that, you know? And the conversations we had were just wonderful and so enlightening. But again, the, one of the big things about what we do is not just to practice, i reference how we would practice um, engage spiritual practices during the service, but one of the things that we say, and this is something that Aaron said at the very, very beginning of the practice, and we've, we've continued this phrase, it's just kind of a part of our liturgy now, is that at the end of the service, we say, Sunday is not the main event, our actual lives are the main event. And so whether it's in an experiment like this one we just wrapped up in, in, uh, in October or what uh, we're doing in November, which is focused on hearing God, how do we hear God, what are the ways that we tend to hear God in our lives, it, everything is focused on what are we doing outside of Sunday morning? How can we carry this with us and continue to practice it throughout the week so that Sunday isn't just this great opportunity to meet with Jesus and then now go get back on with the rest of your life. But how can we allow Sunday to set the table for what happens the rest of the week so that we can truly, like the what we talk about at the practice is, live more and more of our lives in the presence of God so that we can be formed by Jesus to be like Jesus for the sake of the world.
1: Hmm. Thank you. That's, that's really helpful to paint a picture, I think. And As you know, this season we're exploring kind of the themes of death and resurrection, you know, the death of the church in some ways, the obvious resurrection that comes after death. And we believe we're we're bullish on the church, right? We believe that the church is going to continue um, and that the gates of hell won't prevail against it and that Christ loves it and cherishes his bride. Um, One probably doesn't start a church like the practice without some sense of dissatisfaction. Right. Some sense of loss or death hmm. you may be noticing um, because, you know, I'm guessing little Greek, has, for instance, has planted a number of churches. And I'm guessing there's several hundred thousand dollars there, at least for a church planter to come in and to go and plant a similar type church in a different part of Chicago or a different state even. Um, and there's kind of a model there. And I've planted a church before and there was kind of some roadmaps for that. The the practice as you describe it is a different model church than what many in a broadly evangelical context would be used to. What were some of the um, what are you noticing about the church that made that an attractive proposition, either for yourself or even speak a little bit for the people that are coming? What what are the things that were kind of like that's dying, you know? Mm-hmm. And then and then what what about the practice helps kind of resurrect, you know? What what's resurrected by that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm so afraid, I'm just going to be really honest. I'm so afraid to answer this question because I'm so afraid it's going to sound prideful. I feel like I can say these kinds of things about the practice because I didn't start it, because it was started by another group. And I've just, like, I've inherited this beautiful thing. And certainly God has invited me into this season of, of shepherding and caring for this beautiful thing that I didn't start and I didn't create. Uh, so I can, I have, in some ways, I feel more of a kinship with the members of our community than I do with the original team who created it, because that's, I feel like I'm a part of this community and love it so deeply. Um, but I remember hearing, uh, a pastor from Colorado, Robert Jelinek, teach a, a long time ago about, um, he used, he used a couple of stories from Greek mythology. I hope that I get, I hope that I get this right. Um, So he started talking about the sirens, right? In Greek mythology, the sirens are these creatures that live on an island in the sea, and they sing this beautiful song, right? It's where we get the phrase, the siren song. So they sing this beautiful song that would draw sailors to the island where they would crash their ships and would, well, then they'd be eaten by the sirens, Greek mythology. And in the story of the Odyssey, Uh, Odysseus is on his way home and he so desperately wants to hear the siren song. And so what he does is he has his men lash him to the mast and then has all of them fill their ears up with beeswax so they can't hear the siren song. So they're not drawn to it, but he gets a chance to hear it while he's tied to the mast With the beeswax in their ears, they sail on past the Sirens Island, safe and sound. They're all good. So that's one approach. The other approach comes from the story of uh, the Golden Fleece, Jason and the Argonauts. And in their story, at the beginning of his journey, Jason is told, again, I hope I get the the Greek characters' names right, Uh, Jason is told by an oracle that in order for his journey to be successful, he needs Orpheus to go with him. And Orpheus, if I remember correctly, is a demigod. He was the son of Muse, I think, I don't know. but he was a he was an incredible musician. And so Orpheus comes along on the journey. And as they are, I think it's as they're making their return trip back with the Golden Fleece, as they know that they're approaching the Sirens island. What Orpheus does is he plays a more beautiful song. And so they can hear the siren song, but they're not seduced by it because Orpheus is playing a more beautiful song. And I feel like in this season of the church, we're seeing a lot of the cracks and a lot of the warts in the church. I think we're seeing a lot of things dying, frankly, that if you ask me, things that I think need to die. And what I think the church needs is a more beautiful song. Like, I think we need, so that we're not seduced by uh, numbers and the, you know, the up and to the right kind of thinking, that we need a more beautiful song. We need something that is going to draw us back to the heart of Jesus. And, and if I'm honest, I, I don't want to say, like, I would never say that what we do in the practice is the more beautiful song right? Like it's not the more beautiful song isn't a technique. It's not a uh, way of doing things. While I think the way we do things is so incredibly important. That's not the more beautiful song. The more beautiful song is an encounter with Jesus. Like that's it. Like Jesus is the more beautiful song. And so as I look at this, where we are in the church today, in, in our Western culture, What I think we need to get back to is doing everything we can to help and facilitate, to cultivate a space for people to have a real encounter with Jesus. I think when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to formation, when it comes to healing, when it comes to everything that we are called to do as a church, I think a a real encounter with the presence of Jesus is the more beautiful song is the way for us to carry forward because it takes the 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 focus it frankly it takes the pressure off of us and it puts it all where it belongs <laughs> it's it's not my job to win people to Christ it's not my job to form other people or to form myself all of this is god's job it's jesus's job and so how can we encounter jesus and submit in such a way that Jesus can do what Jesus so desperately wants to do in us.
2: Oh, I love I love that the so the, the picture of those two ways, and I it, it makes me also think about. Um, I'm a spiritual director, and, and also involved in training spiritual directors, and I often tell people that one of the things I love about the ministry of spiritual direction, and then I think uh, out from that kind of a more formational approach to things is that there's no pressure
1: Mm
2: -hmm. on me as a pastor, as a leader. Genuinely, if I can be thinking about what I'm trying to do is create space, to offer Mm -hmm. space, not even create it, but to offer space to clear things away so that someone can encounter God. And I'm amazed every time, Mm -hmm. like we lead a silent retreat. And I know when I first started doing that, like 10 years ago, as a pastor, I was like, but what's going to (laughs) happen? I mean, Yeah. yeah. And like every time people hear from God and they're transformed, not because they heard someone teach, but because they actually sat and listened to God. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I do think that one of the things that will be hopefully resurrected from this season is a vitality to spiritual Mm -hmm. leadership around those same issues, right? That the, that we don't have to make something happen, you know, for, Mm -hmm. for God. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's amazing how deep that runs, you know, in, in those of us who are leading churches, you know, just that mm-hmm. um, even if on the surface we're grace centered or we're, you know, exalting Christ or uh, focus completely on him and how he changes us, uh, it's still it creeps in, right? That, that yeah. subtle kind of like, but I, I kind of need to make this one happen. Like maybe, maybe not all the time, but this marriage, I really can save, or this, this, uh, yeah. you know, this event really needs to be the one that's. That brings the money in or you know whatever it may be based on your ministry context and yeah. um, i do think that's that is part of the the cracking the fissures are there right in mm-hmm. terms of that because because you see how broken leadership is how yeah. how run down and how um scandalous and how uh unformed our leadership is And yeah. so i think what has to emerge from that is is a different kind of leadership
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And that, that, yes, that is so, I think that's so key, a different kind of leadership. I think we've, we've elevated leaders in such a way that we like, it's not even, it's not even implicit. Like we have explicitly said that the success, the success, I'm doing air quotes now, the success of a church is dependent on the leader. And so we've just, we've escalated this. We've pushed leadership up and frankly, a particular kind of leadership. We have elevated to the point where it's no surprise that we're seeing the kinds of failures that we're seeing because what fallen human being can survive that kind of pedestal and being put up into that place, right? And so what we, like, we've got to rediscover I mean, frankly i think more of a shepherding style of leadership right less about hey here's where we're going go over there less you know directorial and more in the in the weeds walking with people being honest and authentic and like naming the ways that we screw up as leaders right and and helping to share leadership to to pull back more we have this it's And and I hate saying this because I feel like we have this embarrassment of riches in our community. But one of the things that's beautiful about the practice church is I teach maybe once, probably not even on average, once a month. And, And it's because we have incredible people in our community who are wonderful Great teachers, and we can just invite them to come and teach when there are topics that are that connect well with them and it's an opportunity for me to step back and say like you don't need to hear from me all of the time. We don't need to escalate or elevate this one particular person, but it, we, like we, we're at the practice church we're seated in the round, and that again, everything that the original team put together was intentional. And the idea of being seated in the round is just this reminder that we are all in this together, that we're a part of a community. I love like where I sit, where our family sits, we we literally have to kind of crane our heads to the side to see the band. So I'm just looking across at the rest of the community. I feel like I'm being led in worship by Bill and Gail and Joan and Aaron and Derek and Diane and all of the people I see across from me. And it's Beautiful sense of community of us all being in this together, and whew, if we could if we could recapture that more in the church. Mm, yeah,
2: wow.: One of the other things that I think was helpful about the uh, Greek mythology pictures that you painted, mm-hmm. you have a, a more beautiful song, and that beautiful song being Jesus himself, um, yeah, yeah. encountering him. And then on the other side, I was, I was struck by the idea of tying, being tied up to the mast and putting wax in the ears. And it made me think about there is that call to more beautiful song, but there is the letting go of what are those ways in which we've just simply tied ourselves or tried to tie our church up to the mm. mast or put yeah. wax in our ears and what ways are, you know, um, what are the things we need to release or, yeah. or let go of is, is really what struck me with that as well.
0: Yeah, well, we're in this. You know, we're in this season. I mean, we talk a lot about deconstruction, right? And and I can't help but feel like in the some of the reading that I've done around stages of faith, that I think deconstruction is a natural part of our spiritual journey. I think uh, is it? I think it was George MacDonald. Maybe it was C.S. Lewis. I can never remember who said this quote. No, it was Lewis who called God the great iconoclast. Right. This idea that because we have finite minds, we have to put God in a box to understand, to try and be in relationship with God, to try and understand God. We have to put God in a box. But if we are serious about following God, eventually God is going to come along and smash that box and show us how it is way too small. And so what do we do? We build a bigger box. And and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to build a bigger box because we have to try it with our finite minds to understand this infinite God. And so we build a bigger box. And if we stay true to following God, eventually God will come along and smash that bigger box for us to build another one. I This journey, I, it, it it's baffles me when I read and see people getting all bent out of shape around the idea of deconstruction as if we aren't supposed to grow, as if we aren't supposed to let go of things and hold on to a deeper experience of God. And in most stage of faith theories, you have this, this moment, this transition from early stages to late stages, and it often comes through pain. And in those moments, um, I love Hagberg and Gulich, The Critical Journey is one of my favorite stage of faith uh, um uh models and and they call it the wall and they talk about how you can't go over the wall or around the wall you have to go through it and they talk about how in the wall it's as if the things that used to work for you don't work anymore and and what i what i have been seeing in the contexts that i've been connected to is i don't think this the stages of faith theories are only true about individuals I also think they can be true about an organization like a church. I think that they can be true in the the broader church experience that we are are in the midst of in the in the American church right now and we're at we are at a wall experience as a church. And so we have an option, these things that we've always been doing that have always worked aren't working anymore. And so now we have a choice. Are we going to press in to God, lean into God and where God is leading us in this? Or are we going to say, yeah, I know the things that we've always done in the past aren't working anymore. I think we just need to do them more, or we just need to do them harder, or we just need to do them in a different way. But it's really that same thing. And and we watch as churches run up against these wall moments And instead of reckoning with them, instead of pressing into God, instead of lamenting, instead of grieving and confessing, instead we say, we just want to go back to the glory days. Back in the day, it was beautiful when we did X, Y, and Z. So let's make sure we're doing X, Y, and Z more. And, oh, I know we've been trying to do it. Let's just do it harder. Let's just do it better. Let's just do it whatever, instead of pressing in and saying, there's something here to let go of. There's something here for us to move on from. And, and in moving on, we also, we're also still holding on to things. And what are we continuing to hold on to? Holding on to Jesus and pressing into that deeper encounter with Christ that deeper life of abiding and living in Him? And how can we let go of the other things that we have said are a part of holding on to Jesus so that we can hold on to Jesus more tightly? It's almost like we we go along thinking, like, we think we're holding on to Jesus, but in one hand, we've got Jesus, and in the other hand, we're holding on to whatever, whether it's success, numbers, Um, influence, notoriety, whatever. And we come to these realizations where we go, oh my gosh, I thought I was holding on to Jesus, but I'm also holding on to this thing. And if we let go of it with that hand, we can now hold on to Jesus with that hand too.
2: Yeah. it's, It's so, we've had some of these conversations. It's so apparent to me that for the most part, the church and I say the church, you know, um, in general, has just not done a good job, especially in this country, talking about uh, suffering and pain and the role yeah. that that plays yeah. in our in our life with God and and even just talking about disorientation. That disorientation is not a bad thing. I mean, it's it's right. not fun. It's painful. Yeah. It hurts. But it's a part of the whole journey. And when you made the the comment that we can see deconstruction happen on a uh, personal level in, in one's personal faith journey. And for us to be able to say, that's great. What is God doing? You know, how are you? Yeah. Um, and then to think about it on the more global level, I was thinking when you experience that deep sense of disorientation of something, you know, the the sides of the box getting knocked down and what is going on. I, th- I think for many people that don't realize that, this could be a part of the journey. And even churches understanding that leaders understanding that it kind of puts people into a, a, a fight or flight kind of response. Yeah. And I think that's a lot, a lot of what of we're person. seeing in the church. You see churches are just fighting. We're going to try harder. We're going to go against the culture. And then we see people saying, I'm fleeing. I'm getting out of here because this was not in the brochure. I don't think it's <laughs> how it's supposed to happen. And And to be able to if you think about it in that terms of fight or flight, to be able to regulate, you know, and just take a deep breath and just say, okay, Lord, how are you present in this?
0: Yeah. Well, and I do think we need to say, and I'm, I'm thinking back on what I just said about deconstruction and, you know, I, I I kind of blew past this. I think we have to recognize that, that deconstruction is a really painful experience. And, and it's another reason why I'm so bothered by the people who get all up in arms about the idea of deconstruction is you are kicking someone when they're down. Like deconstruction is a painful process. And I, I know that it's, I suppose, theoretically, it's possible that a person goes through a kind of deconstruction that is a burn it all down to the ground, which I would say is an unhealthy kind of deconstruction. I, I say I think that's that's possible theoretically. I've never encountered someone that doesn't mean that 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 doesn't happen, but I've never encountered someone who's experiencing that kind of deconstruction. Now, some of them go through seasons where it seems like they want to burn everything down. But if you stay with them long term, you realize, oh, that's a part of their processing. It's a part of their journey. And there is something really beautiful about those people who, when they are looking for that deeper encounter with Jesus, and what they find on the other side. But I think we have to acknowledge how difficult that is. And I think that's again our lack of a theology of pain and suffering creates a situation just like you said Ted like people experience that and then it's well well the, well god must not be in this. Right? Because yeah. I w- unfortunately, we've had we've had unfortunately we've had church leaders that have said that god is not
2: in this, you know. Yeah. If you're deconstructing and and so uh yeah it's go ahead
1: Well, i just think that the processing the loss is is really the key here as you were talking to jason i i um i was thinking about one of my favorite passages in scripture i think it's ezekiel 2 or ezekiel 3 where they come back from babylon to the mm-hmm. foundation, to the foundations of the temple where they're going yeah. to build the second temple and there are those who are looking on and seeing the foundations of the second temple and remembering Solomon's temple, the first temple, and they're weeping out loud. And there are others who are rejoicing because they're back. They they just have grown up in Babylon and now they're uh, back home again. And they think any temple is better than, than being away from the temple. Yeah. And so, but it's hard to get out of your mind that first, that Solomon, the greatest time in Israel's history you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's prestige and it's beauty, but it was a loss. Right. And, and yeah. the Lord led them into that season of loss and exile away from some of the good things and some of the bad things, right. That they needed yeah. to, to be, you know, cleansed of. And, uh, but, you know, it's so beautiful in Ezekiel, because he says the sound of the weeping could not be distinguished from the sound of the rejoicing. It was just mm-hmm. one massive mm-hmm. noise, you know, yeah. I, I think about that often in this in this moment, just hmm. the loss that we recognize, the good things that God's doing. Um we have to be able to see that broadly in the church, as you've said, and also in the individual, to see yeah. what is what is lost here. Um and yeah. and those are real things, and yet that also can lead to unfaith you know uh one of the prophets i think says some some that they despised the day of small things they they so wanted it mm-hmm. to be the other way that they 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 didn't have faith in what God was going to do next and yeah. uh that's a real danger but the other danger of course is is on the other side that uh that you would just think that this next thing is going to be the thing that lasts forever too but um okay. I think processing that loss and also keeping that rejoicing going are both part of You know that that experience. Yeah,
0: yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I you share the story from Ezekiel. I think of Mary in the garden. Jesus saying, "Don't cling to me," Mm -hmm. right? And it's I. There was a someone told me once. This is kind of a third hand story. Someone said um, we were talking about a transition in the church, and this person was telling me a story about what someone else said to them. This person said, I don't see a lot of transition in the Bible. I see a lot of life, death, and resurrection. And that's what I think like, what I I think is so beautiful about this season of your podcast is like the church is dying, or is it? And this idea that, yes, yes, the church is dying and the church will be resurrected. Like, there is a necessary dying that we are walking through in this season, the Paschal mystery, right? Like the life, death, and resurrection is so critical. We experience it in little ways in our own lives. I think the church experiences it in big ways. Like I think we are experiencing it now. And it's so important because it's it's the way of Jesus. It's the way of Jesus. Well, And I just think in in,
2: in the midst of the pain and the loss, the rejoicing, all those things, there's, If we can hold on to that reality of death, burial, resurrection, Mm -hmm. when we're in the middle of dying, when we're feel like we're in the grave, there's that there's that hope that we just go, okay, this sucks. This is bad. This hurts. And man, I know something good is happening because God has not left me. And um, well, you know, let let me let me throw this out. I feel like we keep talking for about three hours, Jason. Honestly, this has been so much fun. So fun. Thank you. But I'm wondering as we kind of wrap this up, if um so your church is called the practice. So I'm gonna just put you on the spot here. In in talking with those who are involved in church leadership, those in the church who are wanting to lead faithfully through these times, what is one practice that you would recommend if someone's just saying, "Yeah, I feel disoriented um, in all of this." Um, what, what would be something
0: you'd recommend if you could just say one thing to to people who are feeling disoriented in this season? Yeah, you know, I I don't know that I can say one practice only only because I think we're so we're such unique individuals and wired in unique ways that. Um, I would be nervous to say one thing, but so I'll, I'll say it like this. It would be, how can you make room in your everyday life to simply sit in the presence of Jesus? So it might be a practice like centering prayer or the examine if if scripture is particularly meaningful, it might be something like Lectio Divina. I referenced earlier how walking prayer is something that has been really meaningful to me, uh, where I'll just walk and I will imagine that Jesus is walking beside me and sometimes have a conversation and sometimes not. But just that that act of walking and walking with Jesus has been really meaningful to me. But to, 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 you have, like, I love Dallas Willard. I, I, I hope I'm getting the quote right. He said, you'll never find time for prayer. You have to make time. And so if there's one thing that I would encourage people who are feeling disoriented right now, I would say, make space to sit with Jesus in some way. What, however that connects for you, make space to sit with Jesus and, and as I'm saying this, I'm going to throw out a second one. <laughs> well, did Jesus did that when they said, what's a <laughs> command and he gave two things. So, <laughs> sure. wow. yeah. so, so make space to be with Jesus. And the second is like, no, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> so make space to be with Jesus. But I would also say makes make room for community. I think in, in times of disorientation, being with people who love you and care for you. We talk about, I talk about the importance of an encounter with Jesus. Sometimes we encounter people through someone else and the loving care of another person. It could be a close friend, someone who you can share what's on your heart. It could be a spiritual director. It could be a counselor. There are a number of ways to go, but there's something about sitting with someone, and I would say, if you can, do it in person. I love that Zoom is Zoom, FaceTime, all of these are wonderful technologies, but something different happens when you're breathing the same air together. So can you somehow find a way, make space? to be with someone who cares about you and can hold space for you in the midst of the disorientation to help you know that you are not alone and that you are loved and that you are cared for. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jason.
2: Um, I think you might be a guest on one of our future seasons. This has been just an amazing conversation. So thank you so much. And, um, uh, you know, With what you just said, I'll just say we have a directory on our website for spiritual directors. If someone's looking for a spiritual director, we do a centering prayer night every month where it's just coming together. So um, check out things on our website, sfsaz.org, to uh, find some of those things.
1: Yeah, we'd love your feedback uh, about this season, about other things we could do as a ministry. So leave a comment on social media. Uh, Also, you know anywhere that you would see this podcast pop up and let us know that you're listening to it and we'd love to to hear from you all right well thanks great and thanks again jason oh thank you